0: Please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, our text for us this morning is going to be verses 5 through 7. And let me begin by reading these verses for us. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A woman visited her doctor, and she told him that she wasn't feeling like herself, but she was feeling run down. The doctor listened to her, described her many symptoms, and then he examined her. And after the examination, the doctor told the woman, Ma'am, it is my expert opinion that you are not run down at all, but you are all wound up. Anxiety does a lot to affect people. There are a lot of people running around today who seem to be run down, but are really all wound up with anxiety. In fact, listen to what the ADAA, which stands for Anxiety and Depression Association of America, listen to what they have to say. They say this, anxiety disorders... And notice they call it disorders. We'll talk about that in a moment. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults age 18 and older every year. The World Health Organization came out and said that COVID-19 pandemic triggered a 25% increase in anxiety and depression worldwide. As one pastor says, as a society, we are consuming an ever-increasing amount of medication alongside more frequent visits to therapists and counselors. And yet it seems that the numbers of people with anxiety only continues to increase. So what is the answer? What is the answer for this Anxiety and this depression? Well, the wonderful thing is that God's word has all of the answers for us, right? All of the answers. God's word is sufficient. This is where our understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture comes into play. That we understand that God's word is sufficient and it is sufficient for every single area of our lives, including Anxiety. It's sufficient. That's what we're going to be looking at here this morning. We're going to be talking about the sufficiency of God's word and what God has to say specifically regarding anxiety. Now if you remember back in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul gave us the command to stand firm in the Lord. We're commanded to stand firm in the Lord. But before that command, he said this, In this way, stand firm in the Lord. And we ask the question, in what way? What are you talking about here, Paul? In what way is it that we are to stand firm in the Lord? And We concluded that Paul is going to give us ways in which we are to stand firm in the Lord as we work our way through these nine verses. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. The first way, as we've been working our way through this, that Paul tells us to stand firm, the first way we saw was through harmony and unity in the Lord. That the way in which you and I are standing firm in the Lord is when we are unified. When we have harmony and unity in the church. We looked at this and we saw Yodia and Syntyche where Paul tells them that they are to live in harmony in the Lord. For the church to stand firm in the Lord, we must be unified. There must be unity with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, as Paul told us back in chapter 1. Then, two Sundays ago, we looked at two more ways in which we're to stand firm in the Lord. We said that the second way in which we're standing firm was through rejoicing. Through rejoicing. A person who is standing firm in the Lord, that is a spiritually stable person. And one who is rejoicing always. If you want to have spiritual stability in your life, And to be standing firm in the Lord, you need to be living your life rejoicing always because we have much to rejoice for, right? A person who is standing firm in the Lord and is rejoicing always, they don't let the circumstances in life dictate their attitude. But they are continually filled with joy. And we looked at a person who is always joyful in the Lord. If you and I were to look at somebody like that, we would think, "Boy, they are very spiritually stable." That's a person who is standing firm in the Lord. Think about that. People that you know who are just joyful all the time in their life, filled with joy in the Lord. You look at them and you go, "They're spiritually stable." Their joy is not dictated by their circumstances. They are a person who is standing firm in the Lord as they're always rejoicing. And then we saw the third way to stand firm in the Lord, and that was seen in Paul's command to be gentle to all men. And of course, this would be spiritually, a spiritually stable person, a person who is standing firm in the Lord because they are gentle and gracious with all people even when they are wronged. Think about that. A person who is wronged and yet is gentle toward those who wrong them, we would look at them and we would conclude that they are spiritually stable. They are a person who is standing firm in the Lord. It's not a person who's lashing out. They don't get angry. They don't get someone back for what they did to them. But they're a spiritually stable person. Person, A person who is gentle and gracious is a spiritually stable person. And they're standing firm in the Lord. Now as we come to a, our text here this morning, we're going to see a fourth and fifth way in which you and I are to stand firm in the Lord and to be spiritually stable. And the fourth way to stand firm is found at the beginning of verse 6 where Paul says there, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. And then the fifth way is found at the end of verse 6 where he says, Let your requests be made known to God. That's the fourth way and the fifth way found in these two commands. And as we look at these two commands here this morning, we find a person who is standing firm in the Lord. A person who obeys these commands is a spiritually stable person and a person who is able to stand. So, let's begin with the fourth way in which we are to stand firm in the Lord. The fourth way is this. We are anxious for nothing. A person who is standing firm in the Lord is a person who is anxious for nothing. Notice Paul says there in verse 6, be anxious for nothing. He commands us to do that, to be anxious for nothing. But as I said last time, there's a sentence that comes right before this, right at the end of verse 5, where Paul says, the Lord is near. Remember we talked a little bit about this at the end of, of the service two Sundays ago? The Lord is near. And as we look at this sentence here, and where Paul puts it in this letter, it's interesting that he puts it here because it's just very abrupt. All of a sudden, Paul just says, "Oh, well, the Lord is near. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. There's no grammatical connection with the verse before it. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And there's no grammatical connection to the sentence after it. Be anxious for nothing. It's as if Paul just abruptly just tells us, the Lord is near. Now, what does Paul mean by this? What does he mean by the Lord is near? Well, there are two possible ways to interpret this sentence here. Either Paul means that the Lord is near in the sense of time, speaking of the second coming of Christ, that the Lord is near, that he is coming again soon, or what Paul means here is that the Lord is near in the sense of space, meaning that the Lord is with us always. Those are the two possibilities here. So which one is it? What is Paul talking about here? Well, while both of them are true, I think what Paul is talking about here is that the Lord is near in the sense of space. That the Lord is near in the sense of space. That, meaning that the Lord is always with us. Paul does talk about the nearness of the Lord in the sense of time back in chapter 3 and verse 20 where he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior. He's talking about that there in the sense of time. And we do know that the Lord is near and he's coming to make all things right. Right? He's going to come again. And that truth there of the second coming of Christ gives us comfort. But I think what Paul is emphasizing here is the nearness in terms of space, meaning his presence with us, that the Lord is near to us. Remember what Jesus said when he gave the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28? He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, what? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you always. You see, I think that this is something that we often forget in life. We often forget this truth that the Lord is near us. He's promised he to be with us always. And he's near to us. There's never a moment in your life as a believer where Christ is not with you. Never. Never a moment in your life. In every moment of every day, the fact of the matter is, wherever you are and whatever you are going through, the Lord is near. And He is with you. Always. He promised that. In fact, the Psalms remind remind us of this over and over. In Psalm 46, 1, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's a present help. He is near to us. He is always with us in any trouble that we go through. He's a present help. He's with us. Psalm 75 and verse 1 says this We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. Psalm 145 and verse 18 says The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He's near. And it is this truth that Paul wants to draw our attention to because he's about to launch into worry and anxiety. And why is it that we begin to worry and have anxiety? Because we forget this very fact, this very truth that the Lord is near. And so we begin to worry. And we become anxious because we forget the promise that Christ has given to us, where he says, I will be with you always. He is near to us. Notice how Paul then launches into prayer in verse 6 there, after telling us not to worry. He ties in the nearness of God with the command not to worry with prayer. This is fascinating. Listen to what Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 4, 7. He said this to the nation of Israel. He said, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God, Yahweh our God, whenever we call on Him? What nation is out there? (laughs) There is no other nation who has a God so near to them whenever we call upon Him. Because whenever we call upon Him, He is faithful to answer us, to hear our prayers. He's near to us. Was God near with the Israelites? Was He near to them? Of course He was. He led them all through the wilderness. Guided every step of the way. Provided for them every step of the way. He was near to them. He cared for them. And that's what Moses wants to remind the Israelites of. Just as the Lord was near to the nation of Israel whenever they called upon Him, the same is true of us today. Israel had no reason to ever become anxious. Ever. And the same is true for us today. There's no reason for us ever to be anxious. Our God is near to us. So what does Paul say then? Look again at the beginning of verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Now, let me just pause here and say that there is a difference between what we will call good worry and bad worry. Now, I'm not getting you off the hook here, all right? But I just want you to understand that there is a difference between good worry and bad worry. What is good worry? Good worry is really not worry or anxiety at all. What good worry is, is it's a concern for things that you and I should be concerned about. For example, Paul was concerned about the churches that he had planted. He was concerned about them. He was concerned for the health of the church. It's good for you and I to be concerned about the health of the church. To be concerned about our brothers and sisters. In fact, he said in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, 28, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. This wasn't bad concern. This wasn't bad worry that Paul had for the churches. This was good for him to be concerned about the health of the churches. Or think about Timothy back in chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul said that Timothy was one who had genuine concern for the Philippian believers. He had genuine concern for them. Paul even talks about how we as believers should have concern for one another in 1 Corinthians 12.25. You and I are called to have concern, genuine concern for each other for one another in the body of Christ. But that is not what people are struggling with when we talk about worry or anxiety. It's not what people are struggling with. People are not going to the doctor or to a psychologist or to a counselor because they're concerned for the health of the church or for the care of their brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not. What most people struggle with in their lives is bad worry. What is this bad worry? Well, it's what Paul is talking about here in this verse. Anxiety. The Greek word here is meromonao. And it means to be apprehensive, have anxiety, be anxious, or to be, listen to this, Unduly concerned. And it has the picture of being pulled in different directions, being pulled apart, pulled in two different directions. Or, as one commentator says, it, it has the idea of to divide the mind." Your mind is divided. It's going in two different directions being pulled apart. That's what anxiety does. That's what worry does. One commentator describes it as something that distracts or divides. Worry and anxiety in us, it distracts and divides. That's what it does. This is the unhealthy worry An anxiety that Martha had in Luke chapter 10 and verse 41 when Jesus told her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. She was so busy with doing all this stuff and she wanted Mary to help her. What was Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. Mary, or Martha, is, is worried, anxious, concerned about all this Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Him teach. This anxiety is the natural reaction to poverty and hunger or other troubles in life. And it was possible that the Philippians had anxiety over the persecution that they were facing from those who hated the gospel. In fact, back in chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul tells them, In no way alarmed by your opponents. Be in no way alarmed by your opponents. Those that were opposed to the gospel. Those that are persecuting you for the gospel. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. You might be persecuted for the gospel. Don't worry. Don't become anxious. You have nothing to worry about. This anxiety here that that Paul is talking about in Philippians 4 is it's the worry that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. In fact, hold your finger in Philippians 4 and turn over with me to Matthew chapter 6. 6. Matthew chapter 6. We can't talk about worry and anxiety without going to this great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and looking at what Jesus had to say about anxiety. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, It says this, for this reason, this is Jesus speaking, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Notice what Jesus says about those who worry. Look at verse 30. Notice what he says at the end of verse 30 there. He says to them, you of little what? Faith. Oh, you of little faith. You see, worry or anxiety is a result of little faith. It's a result of little faith. It is distrust in God and what God has said. And what has God told us? He's promised us that he's going to take care of our needs, right? He's promised us that. He knows what they are. And he's going to provide for us as his children. God is going to take care of us. But when we become anxious, we distrust what God has said He will do. In fact, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 7 to cast all our anxiety on Him because He cares for you. He cares for us. What's He saying there? Essentially, He's reiterating what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 4 Be anxious for nothing. Don't be anxious at all. Remember that God cares for you. He cares for us. But when we begin to worry and become anxious, what we are saying is that we don't believe that God actually cares for us. And that He is not going to take care of us in that moment of need. That's what worry and anxiety is. In fact, George Mueller says it this way, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Jesus said there, you of little what? Faith. You of little faith. And when we become anxious Not only do we doubt that God cares for us, but when we become anxious, we're also doubting God's divine providence in our lives. In fact, we talked about this on Good Friday. Remember that? Divine providence. God's providence. That is, God is orchestrating all circumstances and all events in the universe for his own glory. It's all for His own glory. But when we become anxious and begin to worry, we begin to doubt God's providence and whether God is actually on His throne and sovereign over our lives. That's what anxiety is. And when we doubt God's providence, we'll begin to worry about the future, which Jesus says in verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about it. He's got it all under control. What's happening in in politics today, what's happening around the world today, and what's going to happen in the future, don't worry. You don't need to worry about it. God's got it all under control and he's working all of it out for his own glory. Don't be anxious. In fact, some of you maybe need to turn off the news (laughs) so you stop becoming worried and anxious. God's got it all under control and he's working all of it out for his own glory. Notice also in this passage here in Matthew 6 that Jesus says three different times, do not worry. In verse 25, 31, and 34, Jesus says, do not worry. Don't. In fact, what does worry do in our lives? Can it add a single hour to our life? No. No. Can it add any benefit to our lives? None. It's been said, worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. It's good, isn't it? In fact, what does anxiety do? Anxiety only destroys our lives. Why? Because, listen, church, anxiety is sin. Anxiety is sin. In fact, Jerry Bridges calls anxiety one of the respectable sins. What does he mean by this? He means that anxiety has become an acceptable sin among Christians. Respectable. Acceptable. And instead of fighting this sin in our lives, we make excuses for it, and we go and get medicated for it when God says that it is a sin. We need to see it for what it really is. Anxiety is sin. And it's sin because we're commanded by God not to be anxious about anything. Nothing. You and I will use the phrase, ah, don't worry. We usually use that in a sense to encourage somebody, right? Ah, don't worry, it's all going to work out, it'll all be fine. God never uses it like that. Whenever God uses that phrase, don't worry, it's always a command. It's a command. In fact, turn back to our passage in Philippians chapter 4 and notice this command that Paul gives there. Again, Paul says there, be anxious for nothing. He doesn't say be anxious some of the time or be anxious when you're being persecuted or be anxious when you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring you. But be anxious for what? Nothing. Nothing. In fact, in the Greek, that word nothing is placed at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis. Paul is emphasizing here, nothing It could be read this way for nothing be anxious. And that word there, nothing, can be rendered as not or not at all or in any way be anxious. Not in any way, not at all. This word, be anxious for nothing, there. This is in the present imperative, meaning this is an ongoing, unending command for you and I to obey. It's to be a habitual pattern in our lives where we are always being anxious for nothing. Nothing. And think about this. Here is Paul, a man who's in prison, locked up to a Roman guard, instructing these free Philippian believers... In the church at Philippi, to be anxious for nothing. And a person who stands firm in the Lord is a person who is anxious for nothing. Do you want to be a spiritually stable believer? Then be anxious for nothing, stop worrying. And if you stop worrying, you'll be stable. You won't be divided. But you'll continue to trust in the Lord and grow in your faith in the Lord. Grow in your trust in a faithful and righteous God who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm always with you. Think about this. If someone is anxious or worried all the time, are they spiritually stable? They're not. Up and down, right? It's roller coaster life. They're not spiritually stable. They're not able to stand firm in the Lord because they're concerned about one thing and then concerned about another thing and worried about this and worried about that. And never able to stand firm in the Lord. They're not trusting in God. They're just worried all of the time instead of casting all of their anxiety on the Lord and trusting in Him, knowing that He cares. He cares for us. So to be a person who stands firm in the Lord, not only do we seek unity and rejoice always and are gentle with all men, we are also to be anxious for nothing. There's a fifth way that we are able to stand firm in the Lord, which is Paul's next command, and it's this. We always pray with thanksgiving. We always pray with thanksgiving. Notice Paul doesn't just stop there with this command to stop worrying, but he actually gives us the remedy for anxiety. He gives us the cure here. And he continues on in verse 6 and he says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now the command here is let your requests be made known to God. That's the command. Or another way that we could say it is pray. Pray. We're commanded to pray. Don't be anxious, but pray. Seek the Lord. Instead of becoming anxious about anything in life, just stop and pray. In fact, notice that Paul says there, but in everything. But in everything. He just told us not to be anxious about anything, but now in everything. In every area of your life. Pray. Seek God. Trust Him. One commentator says, as the prohibition on worry is total for nothing, so the inclusiveness of prayer is also total in everything. In every area of your life. What are we to do? Pray. Pray. Seek the Lord. Trust Him. Because that's what prayer is, right? Prayer is saying, I trust you, God. You're in control of my life. We're to be praying people. We're to be praying all the time. Not just in a time of crisis or a time of need, but in everything. That means always praying. In fact, that's what Paul told the church at Thessalonica, right? In 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without what? Ceasing. That should be your life praying all the time and when we become habitual in our prayer life then that will be the natural thing to do when a crisis arises right that'll be the natural thing for us to do something may happen and someone's going to ask oh no what do we do and what's your first response we're going to pray pray well yeah that's what i do all the time And now we're in a crisis yep What are we going to do? We're going to pray. Because that's what I do in every area of my life. Whether things are going poorly or things are going well, I'm always praying. God tells me, pray without ceasing. Pray. And remember, where is God when we go to Him in prayer? He's near. He's near. He's near. Paul reminded us of that, right? The Lord is near. And since he is near, we have nothing to worry about. And we have every reason to continually go to him in prayer. Now, notice these two words here, prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication. Really, Paul uses three words here for prayer. Prayer, supplication, and requests. Three words there. That all encompass prayer. Prayer, supplication, and requests. Some say prayer is the act of worship or devotion, while supplication is the cry of a personal need. But it's also possible that Paul is just using these two words synonymously here. By prayer and supplication. Really, he's using these three words. Prayer, supplication, and requests. Go to God in prayer. Paul's not really giving us a theology of prayer here with these words, but the main point is the importance of prayer and the attitude of our prayers. He's emphasizing here the importance of prayer and the attitude of our prayers when we go to God in prayer. In fact, notice what he says, the attitude of our prayers are to be. Notice what he says there, with what? Thanksgiving. With Thanksgiving. You see, oftentimes people go to God like he's some kind of genie just waiting to give them their requests. And so all they ever do is they tell God of all their wants and all their needs. Ever been there? I've been there. You get done praying and you go, oh man, all I did was just tell God all the things that I need. (laughs) I didn't even... Thank him for being my savior, for being sovereign, for being my God. I just told him all the things that I need and all the things that I want in my life. We've all been there, and we lack thanksgiving. But you see, Paul understands that when we go to God in prayer, we need to first thank God for what He has already given us. Start there. Don't start with your needs. Start with being thankful for all the things that God has already given to you. Because He's given us a lot, right? He's given us so many blessings and so many things to be thankful for. And most of all, we can be thankful for Him and for who He is, and for what He has accomplished in our lives. We can just start there. You see, so often anxiety wells up in people because they begin to think about all of the things that they don't have and all of the things that they want or all of the things that they need. Or they begin to think about how things aren't going the way that they want them to go. But part of defeating anxiety is appreciating and thanking God for what he has already provided. Thank him for how things are going in your life because God is working all things out for your good and for his glory. Romans 8.28, we love this verse, right? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He's working all things out for our good, so that even in the trials, even in the time of tribulation, we can still thank God. Thank you, God, for this trial, because you're working it out for my good. Thank you, God, for the persecution in my life because you are working it all out for my good. If God causes all things to work together for our good. What should be our response to that? Thanksgiving. A heart of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, that I can trust in you in this situation and that you're working all things out for my good. And when that becomes your prayer, what happens to your anxiety? It's gone. It's gone. It's not there. You have nothing to worry about. One commentator says, gratitude dispels fear and anxiety for it recognizes that one is not alone. When you cry out to God with thanksgiving, what are you saying to God? You're with me. I'm not alone. When you go to Him in prayer, you're acknowledging that God is with you and therefore you have nothing to worry about. Thank Him for who He is. Thank Him for His Spirit that He's given You to conquer all sin in your life. Thank him for the provisions that he's given to you and that he's with you even in the difficult circumstances in life. And then watch the anxiety just disappear. It's gone. Remember how Paul started this letter to the Philippians? Maybe you don't, so I'll remind you of it. Back in chapter 1, turn back there with me in chapter 1 and look at what Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 3. He says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. You see what Paul does here? Paul's practicing what he preached. What's he writing here? He's writing a prayer. And how does he start off his prayer? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I am thankful to God as I remember you, believers. Paul was a thankful prayer. He's a thankful prayer. He practiced what he preached. And he was a man who, although he was in a difficult circumstance, he had no worries or anxiety. But what did he have? Turn back to our passage in verse 7. Notice what he says there. Chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What did Paul have in the midst of his difficult circumstances? Peace in God. Total peace. He had the peace of God. And that's what he wants for the Philippian believers and for all of us as well. He wants us to have the peace of God. What is the peace of God? This is the peace that God has and that he freely gives to us. Notice that this is a gift that God gives to all those who come to him in thankful prayer. When you approach the throne of God in thankful prayer, you know what God is going to give to you as a free gift? His peace. He'll give you his peace. As you're going through a trial or some difficulty in life, instead of worrying and becoming anxious, if you will pour your heart out to God with thanksgiving, God promises that he will give you his peace. He'll give you his peace. You come to God with a heart of faith and trust in his perfect will for you, and he grants you peace. And this peace is nothing like the peace that the world tries to offer you. They're trying to offer you all kinds of ways for you to get peace, right? None of them work. It's not true peace. But if you come to God with a heart of thankfulness, praying to Him, you know what you will receive? True peace. The peace of God. And it's nothing like the world's peace because this peace, notice what Paul says there, surpasses all comprehension. What does that mean? It means this peace is not of any man. It transcends our human minds because it is of God. It's a peace that no human being can explain. It's beyond us. You ever had that happen to you in life? Somebody comes to you and they go, something's different about you. You're just at peace. <laughs> yeah, it's called the peace of God <laughs> that the world doesn't offer. That's what I have. And isn't that what Paul says about our God, that he is going to give us peace that he is beyond all comprehension that he is beyond all understanding listen to what paul says in ephesians 3:20 now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us god is able to do something that no human being can do that nothing in this world can do because god is beyond all of that and he gives us his peace peace that's beyond us it's beyond our intellect it's beyond our reasoning but the world is trying to offer you all kinds of substitutes if you only take this or do that or go see this person all of your anxiety will be gone It's what the world's telling you but those are all lies from the enemy they're lies from the enemy God offers you a peace that is beyond all that. And you get this as a gift when you come to Him with prayers of thanksgiving. And What does this peace do? Notice what Paul says there. He promises that it will guard your hearts and your minds. That word "their guard, is a military word. And the people of Philippi would have understood this picture that Paul is painting here. It's the picture of a city being guarded by military soldiers, much like the one that Paul was chained to as he's writing this very letter, this Roman guard. What Paul is conveying here is that their hearts and their minds, which really just encompasses their entire inner being of the believer, the thoughts, the emotions, and the will, all of who you are on the inside That's what he's talking about here. All of that will be guarded by this peace that God gives you. You want your mind to be guarded and protected? Pray to God with thanksgiving. God will give you his peace. Peace that surpasses all comprehension. A peace that will guard your mind. It will guard your mind. But notice it only takes place how? Notice what he says there. The end of verse 7. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. As believers we are in Christ Jesus. Which means we are in union with Him. And all those who are in Christ can know this peace that God offers. But some of you may be here this morning and you don't know this peace. You don't have this peace from God. Because you're an enemy of God. Because your sin has separated you from a holy and righteous God. I'm here to tell you the good news that Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross for your sin. And he was buried and he rose again on the third day And he offers you the free gift of eternal life. And if you will repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, you can have your sins forgiven and you can be at peace with God and have everlasting life. That's the peace that he offers to you today if you don't know him. Come to him. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone. And you can have peace with God. This peace that Paul is talking about here is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we are in Christ, there is no harm that can touch us. There's no power that can rip us from his hands. We are safe and secure in Christ and are able to stand firm in the Lord. Isn't that a glorious truth? It's so glorious. You see, those who are in Christ Jesus, what do we have to be anxious about? Answer, nothing. Nothing. In closing, pastor and Bible scholar John Kitchen said this, the presence of a sovereign father and the existence of anxiety are mutually exclusive. To seek the one is to abandon the other. To seek the one is to abandon the other. May we be those who seek our Father and abandon anxiety as we stand firm in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, what rich truths we have just studied here this morning and heard from You. We thank You that we have in Christ Jesus a peace. the peace of God. Peace that surpasses all comprehension. A peace that is beyond us. A peace that is divine. A peace that only comes from you. Father, forgive us for worry and anxiety, doubt, And help us always to trust in you. You are the sovereign God of this universe. And Lord, we thank you for the sufficiency of your word that speaks to every area in our lives. We thank you that you did not just leave us on our own to try and figure all of this out, but that you have given to us your word that guides us and leads us in life. Father, help us to be obedient to it. Help us to be those who are repenting of any anxiety in our lives. Casting it all upon you. Giving it all over to you because we know that you care for us. Father, help us to live our lives trusting you always. Knowing that you are working all things out for our good. And ultimately, for your glory, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.